It's a beautiful Paris night. You're on a rooftop with your date, admiring the clear skies and the stars shining over the city. You take a moment to look over at the edge of the building, and you see movement of the ant-sized people below. You look over at your date. How did you get so lucky? You decided to reach for their hand, but instead of feeling their hand, you accidentally bump your VR controller into the wall. Whoops. Finding a suitable match online is already hard, but will VR save the day or make things even more complex? My name is Carol Tricky, and I'm a brand strategist. And my name is Angelica Ortiz. I'm an experience designer and a creative technologist. And we're your hosts for the show Law Zero, a podcast about the implications, intended or otherwise, of emerging technology. We know that dating apps like Tinder, OkCupid, and others have changed the dating scene completely. Gone are the days of being restricted to a particular geographical region. And here are the days where you can meet someone on a completely opposite side of the world that you would never have met otherwise. Now that social VR is getting better and better, it's time to look at the impact that this can have on our love lives. So before we can take a look at the implications, we need to take a hot second to step back and define what the heck is social VR? Social VR is a part of the larger umbrella of virtual reality. VR, in a general sense, is... Being able to completely immerse someone in an environment on completely virtual things. Most of the time, it'll be a 3D immersive environment that's placed into it, so it has no live feed of reality for the most part. As an aspect of VR, social VR allows users to be in these crafted worlds with other people. You can go on chat rooms or messenger, and you can chat with people in various places. But social VR allows the opportunity to still be with these types of people, but in a way that you can actually see avatars or you can see them interacting with the environment. This is especially important because for a lot of VR experiences, they have traditionally been more solo and individualistic. That's generally been my experience with VR, as you already know. VR master. Like dungeon master, but VR master. You really are. You kind of you, you guide people through this and make sure they don't run into a wall or anything or accidentally smack you with a controller that totally did not happen no no definitely so because this is generally a solo thing how exactly are people using vr for dating i get social in general but why dating we talked about this outside of recording sessions in terms of if humans can find a way to integrate something into their dating lives then they will that's that's the pg version of it for example, like with the online sphere of the internet, they found a way to make online dating. And now that this is a different way to meet people and to talk to people, dating will inevitably find itself a home here. Because porn is looking into this, it's interesting because it's exposing, no pun intended, everyone else to this idea. Right. And a lot of technology gurus tend to say that the internet first started getting popular after the porn industry got involved. And so you can tell that there's a technology that will probably take off sooner rather than later if the porn industry is looking into it. That makes sense. If you can uh, date it, 
get a get a new technology involved. But for the most part, we're going to be focusing this on dating. And the emotional aspects of it rather right. than the physical aspects because you can get that anywhere else. Exactly. And so different ways that we've talked about seeing social VR is in terms of it can be a particular activity you're involved with. So you can go like virtual bowling or like to a virtual museum. Or it could even be just a way of like having a different time and place and establishing presence. So it's kind of a mix of like destination and by means of. So instead of contacting someone by means of texting or contacting someone by means of phone call or that type of thing, this is both meeting. It's it's meeting in the middle. Right. So it's kind of like if you went to a bar without having to actually get out of your home and go to a bar. I'd probably go to the bar more often. We're seeing a lot of people. What was that? That one Facebook series that you showed me? Uh, Virtually Dating. It's uh, sponsored by Condé Nast. In that, I saw that there was a lot of novelty to it. Like people were kind of getting into it because they experienced this new sort of weird thing together. And I thought that was really cool. And so you could even set up just the fact that it's novel or even give them an artificial but common goal. Get them to know each other in a real way instead of like the interview sort of way. Right. That's why dates that have some sort of Uh, activity involved so like going bowling or to a museum you know you're not just like staring at each other across the dinner table or sitting next to each other in a movie you're doing something that gets you active and thinking about like your environment and then it gives you more stuff to talk about so that you're not just relying on each other yeah something needs to be done away as far as the dinner and movie template that everybody seems to go to for the first couple of dates it's always the most like inventive it's just like oh Dinner and a movie. But no one ever stops to think, is that actually the right date to do? It's a little bit basic if you're trying to get to know somebody. Right. The activity brings you more things to talk about instead of just... Like so. The weather looks nice. What do you do for a living? (laughs) Right. Anyway, keeps people engaged and I feel like it keeps people happy and maybe a little more honest. Right. As per what we normally do... Did you want to talk about any of the like technical issues that are associated with dating and social VR? Yes. The first one that I can see and is already existing right now is the blurring reality sort of effect. So virtual or augmented reality that you're in and seeing that as the actual reality. And sometimes, like I know this has happened to me in particular times when I've been in VR for hours and hours, that there will be like this transport button that's a part of some of the VR experiences. When I get out of VR, I will like try to point at like a corner in the wall, be like, teleport, teleport. But um, that doesn't happen. That also happened to me. And it also kind of affected my depth perception, which was kind of weird. But that being said, I was trying to find something on a piece of paper and I hit control F. And because I'm not at a computer, I obviously did not find it. But then I realized I needed a little bit of a tech break. When you're in it for so long, you just kind of get so immersed in it, like your eyes kind of get crossed a little bit. But the reason why I bring this up in this particular sense, if slash when virtual reality can become as realistic as real life, I wonder if people would associate avatars with the actual person. And we'll be getting into that a little bit, but that's sort of considering what you experience in virtual reality as real life could be kind of a confusing thing for the mind. There's an article I was reading that's sort of related to that, where the article was posing basically, do we know what we look like anymore? Snapchat filters, your camera has this really nice feature that 
uh, I've even kind of succumbed to as far as like keeps you smooth looking. Do people have realistic expectations for what other people are going to look like? Well, on one hand, I'm like, if I show up and I'm not wearing a flower crown and this person expects me to do that, like, y- you dumb. You kind of expected that. Or even on the opposite end of that, like doe eyes, like that's just unhelpable. Right. If you expected that in real life, I'm no. sorry, but we can't help you. Yeah. But on the other end, I kind of get it. Mm-hmm. That could be an issue. A lot of human things are based on expectations versus reality. Right. And some people have really hard time with grappling with that. Yep. Scale of dishonesty. Right. There's completely realistic depiction. And then there's the very not realistic at all version where it's like a cartoon avatar. Like I can see those two playing in this social VR space. Right. The second tech concern I have is about eye and ear exhaustion. So it actually brings up similarly to what you're talking about in terms of being in front of the computer screen for so long. There's just kind of that fatigue. Actually, there was an article I was reading talking about the problem that no one is talking about, which is what effect will it have on your eyes? And that's a really fair question because if the VR headsets get so close that I wonder if being in it like either every day or every week will have some unintended implications and putting them too loud and then just gradually and gradually getting to the point where our ears get tired. I completely agree. Ear fatigue is also really a big issue for even brands like Spotify. They came to our school not too long ago and that that was one thing that we were playing around with. Like what type of quality can they bring to the table so people can listen to Spotify longer if they want to? Because if they get tired of it, that's an issue. That actually reminded me of a feature I had on one of my early MP3 players where they actually had a mode where if you had it plugged in and you're raising the volume, it was like, hey, this is an unsafe volume. Like you can turn it up, but just to let you know, this is above the normal decibel. And that was actually a really cool warning that we got. So I was like, oh, okay, let me just keep it at eight. It's a little bit softer than I would like, but at least I'm not hurting my ears. Right. And giving people context, because if they know it just as they reach that line, then they're able to back off and as a result, not have to crank it to 13 because they've deadened the sensitivity in their eardrum. Right. I haven't seen any other application do something similar to what that one mp3 player did. Another thing I wanted to talk about that was kind of a tech-related issue in general is that uncanny valley. I think we've talked about this before in other episodes, but that the place where your brain says, ah, this looks kind of human, but it doesn't look human enough for me to feel safe with it. It's just kind of this general uneasiness that you feel around it. Sophia. Sophia. Our girl. She haunts, she does haunt her dreams. The other thing to think about is how would they end up using social VR and dating? Like, how would they even get to it? I mean, that's a good question because there are going to be various use cases. There is what you could do on a adult film site or as a single person, you could use it to meet people. Or alternatively, you could use it to continue dating a significant other long distance. Social VR has a place in all aspects of dating from the very beginning of a relationship towards the eventual maturity of the relationship if the couple decides to go that route. Let's start on the side that you mentioned before with Tinder, OkCupid, just like using social VR to meet people to date. I guess my question is, is this really a viable option? Do you see this causing more issues? 
I can definitely see this as a viable option for sure because like we talked about earlier about we have like the messenger and chat rooms. This is just another manifestation of that similar concept for you able to actually see what other people are doing instead of imagining what people are doing while they're making all these text comments on a messenger app. I can also see this as a way to go on a first date before the first date. Like you mentioned about like vouching before. This can definitely be a good safe medium to do that. I can actually see social VR dating cafes. Could that be a thing? That could be really cool. One of the big barriers to VR is adoption, mobs, but a lot of it's because of the price. And so a lot of people kind of see VR as a destination rather than something they can achieve in their homes. So there are a lot of companies that are trying to have like a VR place where people can go and experience VR, like kind of like as an arcade sort of thing. So you can go and then put on the headset and experience something in particular. Kind of like computer labs when we were kids? Yeah, kind of like that. And so people are like, oh, I actually like this technology. I would want it in my home. And then that's when you get into your home. There's another business idea. But as you were talking about a little bit earlier, with that being a way to kind of mitigate safety concerns as far as like, do I want to meet this person? I, you know, can I meet this person for a certain amount of time and assess that? That could just fix the safety concerns that some people might have. Whenever I'm trying to decide if I want to go on a first date with somebody, I'm reading their messages and I'm trying to understand them as a person. And is this person safe for me to meet with and all that? Maybe that's just me as a woman or me as a woman of color. But it safety's on my on my mind. But the the flip side of that is I also when I do agree to meet somebody for a first date, I'm really looking at their face. I'm looking for social cues that tells me that this person's safe. I can trust them. Are they honest? Are they going to be cool? Or are they going to wig out on me at some point? That's actually something that was really obvious in the clip that we watch of virtually dating, where we're essentially in that one, they completely captured the outside look of the person for each person. And that's how they made the avatar. They essentially 3D scanned the person to get the look of them and then they ended up just pasting that image onto an avatar with not the cleanest results yeah the girl had like this big old i I think she called it barbie smile yes stuck on her face and the guy had like a very neutral looking face and so while they were talking and like if she was annoyed she still had the smile on her face or if he was laughing he still had the very serious face which was funny in combination with the giggling Right, because there was a certain point where she was like, I hear him giggling, but he has a serious face. Does he like me? I'm so confused. And there was this one part where he mentioned that he was really into something really nerdy, even like he was something he was into D&D or something like that. And she was really she was like, eh, that's not really my style. She didn't say anything, but she kind of mouthed. Not me. Not me. Like, that's not my style. Yeah, and I wonder if, like, because they, spoiler alert, they did go on a second date after the the experience. And so I wonder in that second date, did they actually were able to hash out some of those, like, oh, you're into D&D? Hmm. And I mean, there's a difference between saying that's not my gig and saying I don't like that you do that or, like, that takes too much of your time or too much of your lifestyle or whatever. It's, like, prohibitive versus acceptance. I think that's a good way to describe it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just missing social cues in general could be really weird for this. 
Now, that's when facial capture, if that gets to a point where it's really easy, where it's standardized in like VR equipment, you can actually see the facial expressions. And even and then when full body motion is a thing, then you can also see like how they're moving their hands and how they're standing and that sort of thing. Yeah, their bodies are pretty twisted at some points, like where I'm not even sure his face was looking the right way, especially compared to the rest of his body. Right. So we've talked about the viability of social VR in terms of the dating world. But what do you think could not be the best that comes from this? What are the repercussions that ULEC. Not to say that we shouldn't do this at all, but when you are introducing a new technology to market, extremes are going to come into play. And with that, you have to consider what people will try to do to break the system. Beta testers exist for a reason. I'm a beta tester, for instance. And we both like to break games. You know, there's regular usage and you play it that way and then you're like, I wonder if I can do this. Which isn't bad for, like, innovation in general. But when it comes to social interactions in particular, I see some danger with this. For instance, when you first meet someone that you're really into, time can fly like crazy. Will this make time management harder? Will this suck you away from your family or friends? Can it suck you away from your hobbies? It's not like you have any indication of, like, oh, uh, the restaurant closed. We should probably go home. Or we should move this elsewhere or lighting from outside because you're in a virtual world. There are two thoughts that come to mind when um, you're, you were talking about this. The first is there's that phrase where it's like everything in moderation, you know, so like people can abuse pretty much everything. But you're right in terms of being able to put restrictions on the technology in terms of making sure that people don't abuse it. And the the second thing I was thinking of is Could this be mitigated by just putting a little timer, like, clock on the corner, you know? I totally think it can. And something that we've talked about outside the recording studio was about how people have that doorbell option now. So people outside or not don't have to come over and, like, touch your shoulder and freak you out. But if they want to talk to you, they'll go over and they'll press this button to get your attention. And you'll say, oh, somebody needs me. Pull off the the headset. Right. On the HTC Vive Steam version. Oh, okay. I think setting social norms early is a really good idea and a really good use of this technology. So, for instance, if you limit things to 30-minute meetings and you can opt in to continue meeting this person or continue talking to this person, I think that would be – I don't think that would be an unintelligent move. Plus one, speed dating VR. You have all of the business ideas. (laughs) Also accepting investors for this idea. (laughs) I could see that being a a very big thing. Uh, I think it'd be a lot funnier than just sitting across the table at somebody and shifting every five minutes. Yeah. I could very much see that being a a real thing. And it'd be cool if you had like these mini games. So like you could make the most of your five minutes instead of just like, so tell me about what you do. It's um, you're fighting off like a sea monster or something like that. You know, like something experiential that you're making memories with these people and you're like, oh, actually this person's kind of cool. And it gets rid of that, like the nerves and the butterflies and that social anxiety that often comes with meeting people for the first time. Right. Like your real person can shine through instead of your interview person. And you you can either agree like, oh my gosh, I love fighting this sea monster. This is my favorite one. And you go, me too. This is great. You have something in common versus the persons that's screaming because they really don't like 
small spaces or they really don't like whatever they've been thrown into. There's a lot that you can tell based on what you throw at a person. Right. And that also gets to the point of for with people who may have sensitivity to virtual reality. Like myself. Would this medium even be viable? Like, would they be missing out on potential suitors? I mean, they could. Myself included, I could. If you don't like a particular immersion experience, you could also say, hey, I really like this one is upsetting for me or, hey, this one makes me clammy and it makes me not my best. You could have some sort of setting like that. Uh, Or, you know, like with any technology, it's not going to be for everybody. Right. Another thought that I had was this could be a pro or a con. Uh, What is the commitment or opportunity cost if we're going to get down to like hardcore economic brass tacks of talking of talking to somebody uh if you text and you send a text out it's like no big deal if i'm busy no big deal but if you are if tinder for instance requires you to strap yourself into a headset and all that and you have to sit down and talk to this person um what are the implications of that does social VR happen better for VR for established couples instead? I see this in terms of levels. So we talked about vouching. This is still pretty relevant for this particular one too. So you're you're talking in text messages, and for the most part, if you go to the next step of meeting in social VR, then you probably have some sort of level of commitment. Like if the other person doesn't want that commitment, then they wouldn't agree to it. But but yes, it's at that levels of, okay, chatting over messaging platforms, then going into like social VR, and then, okay, like I actually want to meet this person in person and be able to see their personality. Yeah. Do I want to, do I really want to get dressed up for this person? Is this person worth getting dressed up for and leaving my house? Yes. This VR headset's pretty comfy right now. Right. Or I just like got, you know, I'm in my PJs. You're able to take things personally or not. <laughs> Llama socks and everything. Yeah. And of course, catering to extremes as well. You've got some really nasty stuff that uh, people intentionally mess with, particularly on the internet, which aside, I don't really understand because the internet is the only place that people will tell you chill. It's just the internet. Nobody t- says Angelica, chill. It's just a cell phone. Just chill. It's a typewriter. So for the most part, we've been talking about social VR and assuming that people are acting as themselves in these environments. But what happens if they're not honest about themselves to the people that they're interacting with? Insert here, catfishing. Catfishing as in someone masquerading as not themselves. There are some people that absolutely catfish because they want to cause people pain because they think it's funny to trick somebody nobody likes feeling dumb like if there's any human feeling out there is that that shame when you feel dumb and sometimes that anger because somebody tricked you and that's just mean i keep going back to social norms do we set the social norm that your avatar should reflect you do we set it up that it's just a character and treat it almost as a blind date what what do you think I think it might be interesting to personify yourself as an avatar rather than a realistic depiction because that's when meeting in real life will actually come to play in there. Because we keep mentioning vouching, the avatar could just be a encapsulation of your personality. So it's you're getting to know the person 
and then not having to make any snap judgments. So it's not you're judging them at the very beginning. You're just judging their character. It's like blind dating in the almost literal sense where you have no idea what they look like. Right. I think that's probably the best version of this in terms of like safety and that sort of thing. And then it's up because there's no there's no expectation that that person looks like the avatar. Yeah. If it's that blind date and it's not only blind, it's double blind. You could actually change how we're seeing dating move right now, which is there's really an end to the mixed attractiveness couple, which doesn't sound inherently like a bad thing. Like it's kind of like, all right, whatever. Nines go with nines. Threes go with threes. That type of thing. But anymore, particularly since we see someone online before we actually understand them, talk to them, meet them, you're more likely to develop a relationship online with somebody because they're attractive and you fall in love with your eyes rather than with your heart or because they are a beautiful person on the inside or because they value what you value, that type of thing. So it could actually it could actually improve dating depending on your opinions on that. Right. So if the avatar is reflecting your personality, then you could be dating a three when you're a seven or vice versa. But if you like them. Agreed. For the most part, we've been talking about this in terms of dating as a single person. The next stage of this is dating as a couple. I believe that social VR would also happen in terms of long-distance relationships, in terms of that immersion. So it would be really nice for me and my significant other to go to Venice, but cost is definitely a concern right now. Time is also a thing. (laughs) That's fair. Grad school does take... Grad school, grad school. At school, grad school. Wouldn't it be nice to be able to go to Venice just as a day trip instead of having to stay on a plane, be near a yelling child, you know? It'd be nice to have a unique experience with them that you couldn't have otherwise. Right. And VR is really good for establishing presence or feeling that you're there, even when you're not together. It would be a really cool way to just make memories instead of looking at someone in that small depressing iPhone box, you're actually being able to experience life and memories with them. Yeah. Instead of just talking over Skype again and eating dinner at the same time or watching a movie together at the same time, maybe you could do something different. Like fight a sea monster. We keep bringing it. Why do we keep bringing up the sea monster? Because that would be the best date ever. Or being a pirate. That'd be cool. That would be cool. So what are some key takeaways that you probably want people to walk away with the main one that i want people to walk away with is that right now social vr and dating is not incredibly prevalent but i can definitely see this being something that will affect our love lives within the next five to ten years especially when vr is starting to get a lot cheaper and more accessible what do you think i think a lot of social norms can and probably should be established by the companies that are jumping into social vr This would be a really responsible move, and it would probably prevent a lot of bad behavior. I think that setting those norms and setting the terms, setting the rules, would would really be applauded. Right, and we've talked about in terms of why this podcast exists and thinking about these things before they become problems. And we're at a really interesting time with this technology that people could prevent these problems from happening. Coming back to the beginning, our question, will this make dating easier? What's your vote? I think it'll make dating easier because it solves different pain points mm-hmm. along the the dating life cycle. 
the way in meeting people in a way that's beyond just text messaging or whatnot. It's bringing that to an environment which you can have fun and just be yourself in an environment that's right below in-person uh, interaction, but is still engaging and lively and can do some really great stuff for people connecting. But as always, it needs to be taken in a cautious manner. I totally agree. I think that it can make dating easier as long as expectations and goals are managed properly. So, for instance, your experience as a single person looking for emotional companionship, something not super serious, would be different than your single person experience looking for a partner. And that would be completely different from your experience as a person in a long distance relationship. Those are going to be completely different use cases. But as long as you have expectations and you understand how to get to your goals, I think that this could really make dating easier. I could use the help. <laughs> this has been Law Zero. To our fellow geeks out there, don't forget to subscribe. You can find us on SoundCloud at Law Zero Podcast. Plus, we're on iTunes. Yay! You can also find us on Twitter under the same name. We're relatively new to the podcast game, so we'd love to hear your thoughts and suggestions. We'd also like to thank my brother Ben Tricky for the use of his composition Take Two as our theme song. I can be found on Twitter at Angelica Ortiz underscore one. I can also be found on Twitter at Carol Tricky. Carol with an E and Tricky with an EY. Thanks. <laughs>